Hey, Merry Christmas, folks. We had a great time doing this show. Um, if you want to skip past the usual topic talk and get right to the movie talk, you might want to go to the late 37 minutes, perhaps even minute 38. All right, Merry Christmas. The Finley, the Finley, the Finley, <laughs> All right, we're starting up. Hey, guys. Uh, Joe, how are you? Good. How are you, Tommy? I'm delightful. Hey, uh, so um, just want to talk about uh, something real quick here. Um, uh, I was talking about it earlier. I'm, like, I'm working on sort of a new angle and some new things to do inside of stand-up comedy. A lot of it was sort of um, uh, inspired initially by watching Jim Brewer last weekend. Oh, you was, saw Jim Brewer? I saw Jim Brewer okay. on stage, and yep. I've never seen him in live before. He was... Uh, it's really great to watch like a comic who's kind of at the height of his powers, like just being in a total comfort zone. Yep. Like a guy who's so good has been doing it so long. He doesn't really have a non comfort zone on stage anymore. So it was good to okay. watch that, yeah. but he's also a very particular kind of uh, comic. He's a guy who uses a lot of facial and or vocal dynamics uh, to get, <sighs> to get into it. Yeah. And so I'm like, and so, so I don't like, I've been a talking head my whole life. And there's a whole fear zone based, like moving into, point of view and act outs and things like that mm -hmm. so it's just brutal for me it's really tough it's just but it's just it's based on a fear and it's one of the things that as a comic you gotta mm, sort of slow down slow down I'm trying to uh, yeah okay so let, me, let me just piece this together alright alright so you a stand up comic yeah <clears throat> saw a, a well established stand up comic and as often happens you're like oh I get it I understand yeah. why this person is who they are right this person, Jim Brewer, does a lot of like sort of physical, sort of rubber face type of things. Serious, yeah. That he adds these dynamics to a show. You're thinking, how does this factor into me? Because I've been the sort of like I use the language, but not my body it's and the other challenge. dynamics. It's like the next step. Like All you're right. always, you, as a comic, you have to always be challenging yourself to try new things. And if if for whatever reason, like doing a like working more on vocal act outs and things like that doesn't uh -huh. work, you'd at least know that it doesn't work mm. in an honest sense. Is there is there a time period uh, in this craft of yours which we call stand up comedy? Is there a uh, like a line ever where you feel like I've gone too long to try that thing? I don't think I don't think you should ever have that. <coughs> that, that I don't think you should ever do that. Uh, but I've never tried this one mm -hmm. fully, and I want to be able to know if it doesn't work, that's fine. But I want to do it. I want it not to work for the right reason, like that. It just doesn't work for me. And are you, now, are you talking? Not that I'm too afraid to really get into it. Are you specifically really talking about the physical aspect? Mm, mostly, um, like voice act outs. Uh, really working with other voices. What does that mean? Like, like, like impersonations of? Like it can be an impersonation or just like adding a thing. You know, it's like, uh, so, you know, you're a punchline, mm. la blah and then -blah. doing that, Boom. doing that in a, uh, yeah, right, dude. And then doing that in, uh, with like, you know, in another voice. Like Wait, what adding, just happened adding there? that other thing. I'm more interested what just happened there. What? Are you, you got oh, a little pissy there. Your boom, shut up. Anyways, hey, um, you got crutches. I'm going to point to your crutches. You're a crutch. I'm always going to point to your crutches. You're a crotch is what you are. <laughs> I'm going to point to your crotches too. So, so now, and and this oh. actually kind of bleeds back to what we were somebody we were talking about last week in our show, uh -huh. Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby was like kind of the king of this, uh, of the of the vocal uh, voice dynamic act out. He was maybe the best of them all that okay. I've ever seen. Right. So for instance, like he would do, you know, hey, 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 he would introduce that sound into his act yep. and tell you that's the sound of Fat Albert. And mm -hmm. basically throughout the rest of the act, he could have like scenes involving four to five people 
in yep. there, and all you'd have to do to tell you who was who was talking or who was acting was make that sound that was associated with him. He's really kind of a genius tool. Uh, and he was it's just, it's a great tool to have in comedy, and he yep. was maybe the best I've ever seen at it. Like there was one called like the uh, I think it was like the uh, the great soapbox derby race or something uh-huh, like yep, that. Yep, and I he just that and 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 he just gave all the people in there like a certain sound. <laughs> was one person. Yep. And every time he brought that in, you knew who was the, the the who he was talking about at the moment. So I don't know. That's that's just a new uh, kind of area that I'm going to be trying to explore in my stand up. Brewer's kind of interesting, you know. One of the things um, I think that's it's become so stated in comedy mm-hmm. that it kind of gets old. Like you, you start to doubt how true it is for everyone, and that's the idea. Like uh, you got to put your um, your your own life, like your own like be revealing about yourself, uh-huh. right? And that seems to be like, yeah, that would be true because, I mean, you look at people like Richard Pryor and so But it's one of those things where it's like, uh, do you need to or is it like one thing you can do? I don't really know. But one thing I like about Brewer that's that's really... Um, I mean, I'm not saying you don't need to. I'm just saying, like, I don't know... The more true something becomes, the more you start to think, is it, you know, you have to re-examine how true it still sure. is, right? right? And so, like, can you do comedy that isn't revealing about yourself? And it's like, yeah, I, I've seen some pretty goddamn... Very successful yeah. comics. Jerry Seinfeld does that. Yeah, okay, fair enough, right? Perfect example. Okay, so... But Brewer actually um, reveals a lot about himself. Very personal. Okay, right, because he had... The whole thing was... His big deal was about his family, his father, right? Yep. Who, who he would take on tour with them, who was, like, losing his shit, right? Yep. Totally losing... And his mother, who was very abusive, apparently, right. toward the father, right? Mm-hmm. So he's made no bones. He's got a lot, a lot of trouble with his own family, and that's yeah. that's one of the problems. And writers do this a lot. Writers are sued by their families because it's like... They, they put their shitty family stuff in their novels or short stories or right, poems right, or whatever. So, so, yeah. So I, I like that um, about... Brew. Now, here's the other thing, not to get too meta here, but I'm interested in this too. Like, there was um, something, Seinfeld and Chris Rock and uh, Richard, Rick, Ricky Gervais or something. There was a, 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 an interesting sort of thing I, I liked. It was this hour long conversation mm-hmm. about like. Lucy K. Oh, it was Lucy K. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it was sort of like also like, how, you know, what, how do we approach comedy? Right. And it's it was interesting. And apparently they sat down for like five hours and took the best hour out of it, which is the way to do it, I guess. Right. Like right. cut all the, the parts where they were like passionate about it. But also, I kind of feel like. Um, Talking about comedy can be kind of. I'm not. Criti- I'm not critiquing you right now for bringing this up. I'm just sort of saying, like, how much do you <coughs> feel like comedy should be talked about versus is it like a magic trick in a way? It's become almost its own thing now to talk about comedy. To talk about comedy, people yeah. like people have entire podcasts dedicated to talking about the mechanics of being a stand-up comic. Yeah, and they have huge listenerships. I guess so. it turns out people are really interested in the processes of stand-up. I find it very boring, and and actually not. <laughs> I don't blame you. I, I don't find that. this conversation boring. By the way, I'm not again. I'm not actually critiquing this conversation because mm. I know you, and it's it, you know that adds an extra interest level for me. And maybe people do, but I always think of it like um, I would be. I'm a I'm a teacher. I would be interested in a podcast where people bitch about the committees they're on, but I can't imagine <laughs> that the world would like want to hear that. 
Right. I yeah. mean, it's like um, comedy is. I, I mean, ultimately, these Maybe are all that's jobs. What we're missing here, Joe. Maybe that's that's what's gonna that's gonna be our crossover. <laughs> but people there. don't want to hear about your job. Right. They don't want you know, the process. It's sort of like yeah, but, the, my brother and I called the J.C. Penny Penny's ization of the world only because one time we walked into a Penny's and we had to pick up sheets for right. like my mom or something. And so we picked up sheets and we go, oh, "How's it going?" Which was mistake fucking one and ten because the guy ah oh, someone didn't show up for work today and it put us in a real bind getting people to cover this section of the floor and like oh fuck you i did not give a shit at all about what's happening behind right, the right, scenes right. here i don't you know right it's i don't want to know how the sausage is made because it's boring not because it's fucking full of you know tidbits and well, pig's I think, ears. but the thing is the stand-up is uh it's a little it's people are interested in, in in the same way because it seems like such a terrifying and exotic thing so it's like be like i don't know like talking about killing a dragon or something i don't know how to put it yeah. but i think a lot of people are just fascinated by the notion a lot of people would like to do it yeah. but would never want to put you don't want to put in the time and the effort well, to actually do it right? and then speaking and, is the number one fear right right and but at, and at the same time but here's the thing yeah. the internet has given us a whole new ve- uh, you know whole new venues yeah. for people to do comedic things mm-hmm. so i think it's it, it, it's a combination of those factors I think, again people like are fascinated by it would kind of like to do it yeah. have the opportunity maybe to do it in a safer way yeah, yeah. you know on youtube or whatever um right. and um so and so yeah it's just it is like a, a weird fetish thing the demo- Plus, i think comedy has gotten to this point where meta is almost uh, is is kind of sickeningly where it's where it's headed right now that'll change I, I hope too that changes, yeah. well i mean it's the the democratization of of the arts right so it's like um in, in uh, I vaguely remember like the catch a rising star phase of right. comedy in like the late '80s, right? Which I mean, I wasn't involved. I didn't know anyone in comedy Even at the time, the but improv, yeah, yeah. But it was that type of thing you'd see it on TV once in a while. And it was like these people were were muddling through like a like the the rise and fall, right? Like yeah. the art, like there was a huge sort of blossoming of comedy, and then it just fell. Like by the '90s, it was like you were yeah, there was yeah, no yeah. work for anyone. Yeah. But but what it became is it was all about executives and holding deals, right? So it's like to be the Richard Jennings story is actually kind of like one of the most tragic in a way because Richard Jennings was. Um, Actually, a really good comic. Pretty damn funny, yeah. But his whole thing was he came from that period where it was like Seinfeld and Roseanne, like, you want to get a fucking sitcom. There and, was an entire time period where a lot of a lot of people got into comedy specifically yeah. to get sitcoms. And you start writing your shows around material that could be used in a sitcom. I mean, it got like kind of perverse in yeah. a way, right? <laughs> well played, yeah. Yeah, so 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 there's all that going on. And, and what's happening now is like... Bullshit! You could comedy. You can go anywhere. Like right. there's this guy, and sitcoms are following. And sitcoms are sort of following suit in some areas, not in a lot. You like maybe. for instance, Louis. Like I, I would say, Louis would be a great example of that. Like his comedy is about what it is, and he's making a show about what that is. Oh right, right, right. Instead and of the writing material for being, uh, you know, instead of writing yeah. material to have a sitcom, he's having a sitcom based on. It. It's really interesting. But there's a comedian. I want to say his name's Kyle Dunnigan. I'm not sure, but he's he's actually been around for about 20 years as a comic. And, and, and what's that? Kyle Kinane. No, I don't think so. Well, okay. tell me if anyway. you, this is who we're talking about. And it's like he's he's done that other route where it's like um, you become a writer. For a show, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like the bummer there is we saw you and I saw a guy at the Comedy Cellar in Vegas at the Rio Hotel, and he was the opening guy, and it's it's that opening guy probably should be at least a middler, if not a headliner, right. but because he's a writer and it's stuck to that, he has to sort of now relegate his you know he can't be out on the road as often and all yeah. that sort of stuff, right? So 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 um um all of that's sort of oh so so there's this guy Kyle, i think his name's kyle dunnigan and and after 20 years he finally breaks through 
as an Instagram comic, which sounds fucking horrific, but actually he's very, very funny. And he right. does these one minute, highly produced things where he plays like Trump and Stormy Daniels. Right. And does the face change thing and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, wow, what a new way. Like the social media became the way yeah. that, that gave him a platform for ideas. I can't wait. I don't know what it's going to look like, but there's going to be a new stage in comedy. Because right now what's happening with people who break through on other media is that they're being then sort of shoehorned into stand-up in this traditional medium. Yeah. So, for instance, there was this guy who he did a, he had a really funny Twitter comedy account called At Dad Boner. And it was just this guy yeah. being a... Uh, this this guy he was like a forty something with a forty some mid forties guy with a mullet who halfway sleeps in his Sebring the Bring uh, uh-huh. he calls it and yeah. he's really he's just he's a fucking awful human being but he's kind of funny to watch him like implode and explode yeah. much like you do with me Joe yeah so yeah but but so then what they did so then what happened is he went on tour Boom. to comedy clubs yeah. And he, there's no, it's not, it's not a comedy. It doesn't fit into a comedy club venue. Yeah, maybe, but even what a venue looks like changes. So, like, what's interesting here is, is it's very hard to separate. I've always found it hard to separate democ- uh, democracy and capitalism, right? With all the the issues I have with capitalism, Can't wait till we do that and democracy. Sometimes it seems like, well, you know, it is the purest form of democracy if done right. But here it is. You know, it used to be that that the old way without social media of being a, a comic was was just competition. Like you didn't want anyone else to get credit. Like you you're climbing on top of each other. Now there really is no like there are three spots for television and radio. It's exactly. like it's unlimited. So actually, comics I've noticed are becoming more generous. Like hey, and check out this other person yeah. and this other person because there's that's kind of unlimited. Nice yeah, that's kind of because when I first started off. Everybody was basically, uh, 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 we, everyone was obsessed with putting together your your, your seven clean minutes. Right. Right? Your good, tight seven clean minutes. For you Carson, know, right? Exactly. Yeah, Carson yeah. wasn't even on the air anymore. It was By that time, it was even Leno. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that that, the, that still yeah. stuck. That stuck through like the first decade of my career. Yeah. And now, yeah, we're at this interesting place where like the, 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 the roof has sort of been blown off the dump. Nobody's really sure what the next step is, I don't think. And everyone's, you know, trying to get ahead with whatever social media is available at the moment and yeah. sure and certain knowledge that it's some point it's going to fucking change well it's, it's changed the entire it really has changed it like smaller venues are more like are, are getting are doing really good business now mm-hmm. and larger comedy venues and it, there's kind of we're in the middle of a comedy boom right now but it's going to be interesting boom. to see where it lands yeah well it's also like um interesting it's it's a a lesson in doing what you want to do right because mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's always a great story when someone sticks to their guns and then it turns out they were right and something sort of like justified that, right? right? Yeah. Not, not not noticing the other 99 guys who stuck to guns that didn't fire. Well, this podcast, right? I mean, at the very, uh, very first episode, like 80 episodes ago or something, we started talking about, or I did anyway, about how like I, uh, my parents rightfully thought I was just wasting my time studying movies. And it's like, yeah, my my... My justification isn't like, see, now I'm making money or anything, but I am doing something I like to do, right. which it just wouldn't have come up, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, and it, it's sort of like um, social media is. Yeah. Analingus is only going to go so far. The, in the, the podcast edge of the horizon time. for us, but but like, who knows what it'll be that'll justify doing what you think is the right way to do it. And right. so I think that's, yeah. 
Anyway, I, I mean, I, I don't know where that with Jim Brewer. Jim Brewer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great thing. We can like freaking start talking about comedy and then just peel off in other directions. Well, yeah. I also think like you know this leads me to something else I was thinking about, and that's um, I was thinking about profanity and cursing, which is like you sort of brought that up what too. What the, the fuck are you talking? About? <laughs> Go cunt yourself, like guy who misuses profanity. <laughs> <laughs> You uh, son of a Balzac! Well, so, that's like that's almost like hilarious. You ever you ever watched out? Uh, you ever seen the movie Waiting for Guffman? No. I hate your ass face, like the gay guy who doesn't no. understand how to, how to how to actually insult other people. Yeah, ah, that was funny. Go yeah. On. Well, so um, I I was reading this guy. I think his name's Andrew Weiss, and um, he's not Andrew Weiss Clay. Andrew. <laughs> he all, needed the money. He's alternative hey. alternative medicine guy. Yeah. Yeah. My crystal's over here. Now I got a crystal over here. I got a crystal ball. <laughs> a little butt blue. So, so um, Andrew Weiss is um, kind of a likable character because he's he's kind of one of those like bald, white beard, um, slightly chubby guys. He's like um, sort of alternative, but also a, like a, doesn't mind bullshitting, right? So he's really into like matcha tea and alternative medicine. But he's also like, and this this alternative thing is bullshit, and crystals are bullshit, and. He's just likable in that way, and he, you know. Anyway, so so I was I was reading about all this alternative medicine, and he's talking about the mind body connection stuff. That's really boring. But one of the things he's talking about was cursing, and that um, what science what neurologists have discovered is that cursing is a particular sort of category of language that's that's that keeps your skin young. That, <laughs> that's actually held in in the. Ne- neuron pathways in a different place from all other language and maybe because it's 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 categorized by society as profane it puts it there but what ends up happening is people who this is why when people get dementia and they lose their minds they don't lose cursing People will lose all language but cursing in some instances. This is why our our, our Aunt Grace, who was the most lovely woman in the fucking world, right. when she lost her mind and went to the nut house and went to visit her, it was, fuck this, they cunt this. And it was like, because even though, just hearing those words that she didn't even use, it was kept in a part of the brain that's, that's uh, compartmentalized. That's, that's hilariously immune to. Well, in a way, <laughs> wow. it's weird. And it's like, I mean, it's, it's, I think that there's got to be like a, a cultural condition uh-huh. that sort of like allows your brain to think of it that way and therefore compartmentalize it. I'm not exactly sure how this works. I wonder if like the late 19th century people with dementia were like, H-E double hockey sticks. Yeah, well, whatever it is. I mean, so it, is your old man. Obviously, it's it's arbitrary, right? As right. all language is. It's not yeah, like they're magically put whatever there. the curse words of the day are. Yeah, absolutely. But I thought wow. that was kind of fascinating. But I also, like, it kind of rolls back into what you're talking about because there's, you know, I've always sort of disliked the idea that... Um, now that's a smart comedian. That's a comedian who could be smart. He doesn't have to use curse words. And right. it's like, yeah, well, he, absolutely. I mean, I look at something like like Seinfeld, like the show Seinfeld. The way they handled like language, like master of your own domain for jerking off and all these things was fucking brilliant. Yeah. And everyone knew what they were talking about. Right. And it's sort of like that's been going on for a long time. I mean, Jack Benny had some version of that, you know, in right. some weird way. Where insinuation it's like, over, insinu- over the actual I mean, word. that can be actually brilliant. I mean, oh. I'm not saying it can't be, but I hate it when people suggest that that is where brilliance comes from, that certain pathway, because also it is very conscious. 
And it's sort of like there's nothing more fun to me than driving on a road trip with a couple of guys who are just and we're all blowing each other. And oh no, wait, that's a different story. Yeah. On a road trip with a couple of guys, and everyone is and still driving, Joe. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh... And and. Uh, and everyone's just sort of like letting loose, and that yeah. includes profanity because it's like you're at your most relaxed. Right. And the thing is, you know, the word fuck is like the word um. But the other thing is, the word um is. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a punctuation, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and I get it. Like, I was listening to someone the other day who ummed too much, and it can drive you crazy, of yeah. course. But I don't think we should get rid of ums either because it's a, it's a point where you sort of stop and, and re examine the different path you're taking. So, profanity is this great thing. But I don't know what it would. I mean, it, it, it strikes me that um, in the world of comedy, it's the most, or one of the most sort of talked about areas. Like, how do you feel about it in comedy? Oh, well, I mean, the, the, the truth of the matter is, is I think Jack Benny could get away with this kind of thing, and even Seinfeld could get away with it more. First off, it takes a tremendous amount of trust in your audience. To, right? to not curse or to, to curse? To not curse sometimes. I mean, yeah. relaxed is the way, but, but we're, we're a less literate society as well. Audiences respond. What's literate, man? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Ah, well played, sir. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, um, so, so uh, like... I feel lazy when I when I curse. It's usually because I'm not feeling very comfortable with the audience, okay. um, or I'm yeah, or something's off with me. That's usually when I curse the most. Mm-hmm. I, I work blue, but mostly blue conceptually, mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to word wise. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I don't consider word yeah. blue as my best. With me at my best, um, I try to. I try to stay away from that. Um, it is. Uh, it's a good uh, business idea. Not to go, not to use a lot of curse words. Why? Given the conversation we had a few minutes ago about well, a few different platforms, that's the thing. That's kind of a leftover. That's still a leftover notion, but it's still. Yeah. But it also, um, <clears throat> but, but there are also other venues for comedy. So, for instance, corporate gigs. You got to be clean oh, yeah, for a corporate yeah, gig. Yeah, yeah. Those pay really good money. Yeah. And like, and all the other thing too. Like, if you talk about like, if I go, if I talk to any comic and I say Brian Regan. Every yeah. comic loves Brian Regan. First Why? off, he's funny. Why? Second off, he's clean and he's that funny. It's a weird combination, but comics respect. I that. comics respect. I know you don't particularly care for Brian Regan. No, it's at not some that. point with most comics, yeah. you come down to some like taste is is a huge issue. I find them likable. And I don't know why I have I, I I have no consistency in this. And Gilbert Gottfried's my number one go to for, for the his lack of consistency. Voice does not appeal to you. And he's very cart. Oh, 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 you're, you're talking about Brian Regan? Yeah. Well, yeah, in a way, I well, it feels like a laziness. And even Bill Burr, who I think is great, it's sort of like, uh, you know, it doesn't seem genuine to me. Okay. I, and it, that's when I'm knocked out of it. Yeah, you know, and I can't like, and I, I'm never gonna try. I can't argue. I never have understood trying to argue somebody out of their taste on these kinds of things. So I'm not gonna do that with you. But mm. what I'm saying is, he gets a lot of he gets mad respect in the comedy community because he is absolutely as clean as he is, and he still manages to be yeah. what we all consider to be pretty funny. So yeah. you know, th- there is a certain respect to be had out of somebody who does like. I again, I find Seinfeld very pedestrian. Uh, very mm. banal, um, but mm. and he's completely clean as well. Yeah. So there's no there's no real consistent and but and again I do I respect him because he's very iconic as well. But um, but uh, you know, I don't know. There's really no like I don't respect or dislike somebody more because they swear. I get it. Yeah. But speaking for myself, I prefer not to. When I do, it's usually because I'm using it as a crutch. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's fair. I have a different sort of bone to pick with you, and that's you say this all the time. And it drives me kind of crazy. Like, give me the bone. Well, and you're not alone. But I, I don't. I, I think it's a. It's the idea that you um, would avoid arguing taste. 
I don't that that concept blows my mind. Like, why wouldn't you argue? Why would taste be on a different sort of well, table than anything taste else? Doesn't have any rational. There's very little rational place you can. Yeah, but that's but so what? I mean, it's it still is an opportunity to talk about values, right? Or like points of view. So like to. Sh- well, I'm using the talk, wrong word okay, here because so you're not you wanna... like quote unquote shutting it down. That's too aggressive. But, but, but to in essence like go like I'm not going to go near a conversation about taste. Why would I? It's because well, but it's fruitful. Well, okay. So if we're talking about, if we're talking about an argument, I don't think that's fruitful. I think a conversation might be fruitful, and that's a little bit different. I would say. So if you're having a conversation and you and somebody else is giving you their opinion on what like this or that or something like that, it might make you think about that. But if I don't know, trying trying to rhetorically change somebody's mind based on what their tastes are, which are, as far as I'm concerned, almost never rational in their basis. It's always it's just, um, it doesn't I don't know, it doesn't work for me. I don't I don't see the point. Well, because you're you a, get to you're a you're a rhetorician by nature. Yeah, but it's because you it's because you're sharing your reasons. I mean that's that's the 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 nature of a a debate about something is that you are forced to th- think about your own reasoning behind something. Mm-hmm. And I I don't taste is not like somehow a category for which there is no reason. That mm-hmm. I think that's that's maybe that's no, but where I think I there's object. almost never any good reason for it. Well, how would you know unless you talked about it? As I'm saying like like if you if if I talk about a like the Bohemian Rhapsody. I think I talked about a movie that I saw that um, I did not, I didn't like it that much, right? Yeah. And and what it makes me think about is like, why didn't I like that? Because I like Queen, and like I did a good acting job. So like, what were the reasons? So what it makes me do is is in my sort of defense of my position about not liking that movie, it makes me think about what do I want in a biopic, mm-hmm. right? It's it's almost forcing me to sort of think about movie making in a way right and so that's the good of it well i think that's good as far as like for a self-examination thing but i don't know about like i don't know that anybody's ever changed my mind about something i had a serious taste like taste-based opinion on that seems that seems um not only ridiculous it seems false no one's ever changed your mind about a a a subjective i don't think so that's crazy i don't how can that even be true don't make me angry tommy (laughs) How could that be true? I, I just don't understand it. Like no one, like because because how would you? It's like you're cementing yourself on a point of view, and it's like because it's subjective, no one can uncement me from it. Yeah, but the, the, the uncementing from that basically is going to is an internal. That's an internal process. Well, I guess if you're if you're now challenging yourself afterwards to sort of re-examine, but do you do that? With, oh, of I mean, course. yeah, th- absolutely. To me, that's what conversation is for. Is is you know what I mean? Like, well, okay. Then I come back to what's the difference? Wow, this is yeah. Well, it's esoteric. I got it. You know, at that point, we started thinking like, what's the difference between uh, between argument and conversation? Then, um, well, I guess it only becomes argument or debate or something if somebody is asking you for evidence for your claim, right? Mm -hmm. And I I think what I'm getting from you is that when you have a like for something, let's say that it doesn't have a claim evidence relationship. And I, I don't think that's true. Hmm. I think that it may not be, you may not be conscious of what the evidence is. And so that's the use of talking about it is trying to, because I've been turned around on movies like that I disliked or liked before a lot. Mm-hmm. I've been turned around by it. So, and the, the, oh yeah, that is a shitty movie. That's a good point. And, and you know, it makes me, then I have to now think about movies differently. Right. 
each time I approach it, like, oh, having had that experience. Because otherwise it just seems like a narcissistic, you know, like, I have it, and mm, it's like, it grows in me. And it's me. And it's like, but you're not special. I don't mean you, Tom. But, like, any individual's not so so special that, like, their opinions about, or their taste, sorry, um, it's not magic. Okay, well, let's break this down to actual taste. Right? Let's take it like that. I like prefer- food? So let's go there, okay. shall we? Okay, yeah, so yeah. Uh, let's go. Like, I prefer my stuff more salty than you. Argue me out of that. Um. Well, okay, I I could argue, but I would start with this. I would say that something like salty it is perhaps a physiological thing, and not not ironically a taste thing, because <laughs> taste is a metaphor, right? So so that is like a an, a a biological evolutionary strain to you that may not be true for me. Now, here's what I would argue. I would argue, like, have you tried these foods that don't use salt? And and here they are, and do you know about them? And let me press my case for them, because they have amazing taste flavors. Mm-hmm. And the person, and this is very much not like you, because you're very open-minded, but the person's like, no, I don't like salt, or I do. You're like, ugh, you're a fucking bore and that but you know what i mean but you have to have the argument first right yeah. but but if you have this sort of community that goes oh you don't that's you <laughs> like you were born with the like the toe tag that says no salt or salt it's sort of like well no because you don't know and i'm telling you you i'm arguing that there's a, a, a an experience you don't know and should have so that you can know to either retain or change your position i think what i'm saying is that there's an extra kind of a an experiment <laughs> Oh, please. I think this has got to be the most boring hour of podcast. It might be terrible. I don't give a shit, but go ahead. But I think there's an experiential sort of perception that's impossible to translate or get across. And in some cases, it can be impossible to get over. There's an experiential... Okay, so experiential perception that is hard to get over. Right. Like somebody's sense of umami and or, or taste via salt or whatever is 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 sort of ingrained and... and uh, not always possible to get a see but that to me i'm saying that's what we have to get over and it's hard it's it's already difficult to get over that that i agree with you it's hard to get over the experience we've had because mm-hmm. we have an experience and we go that's that's how the world operates once right. we have the experience right it's already hard enough but if it's foreboding to even talk about you see what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Then it yeah, becomes I, like, oh, you're just stuck with the experience you have. Right. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever. I'm not. I'm not. I don't think verboten would be the the phrase the way I would go about that. I, I would. I don't blame you. It's a little obnoxious. Maybe <laughs> My worry is that it, it's fruitless. Is is get that 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 sort of perception is, is really difficult to get over get across. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you know where? Okay. The fruitlessness of it, I think it would be what I object to. Look, there's nothing worse. I, like uh, here, here's here's where it gets up. Not, I agree. With it. There's nothing worse than somebody who likes um, who your friend who likes drugs and insists that you do drugs. Right. <laughs> I mean, I've been that person or their before. Kind of drug, right? <laughs> now, come on, you gotta do it. You, you gotta do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, there's nothing worse. But at the same time, while that's completely obnoxious. It is on the least offensive, like hysterical, to really annoying to hear people talk about pot who have never been near pot and have no idea. They're talking about like psychosis and, I mean, who just have no 
fucking idea what they're talking about. Right, right, right. And so I don't know that everyone has to experience what you experience to be in the game, but it's yeah. sort of like that's... Well, I would say this. If you're going to have an opinion about something, fucking explore it. That, that seems to me the, the obvious thing. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And I've explored pot many a time in my life. <laughs> you have? With very little actual success or enjoyment. Yeah, I I've never it. met anyone who is um, and less, you, suited, to the less suited to marijuana than you. And you are, I, and I, I think, think you I should might, not ever try it again, actually. I think I might have an allergy. You might have some sort of pot allergy. Something cause weird. Cause we, you and I, I have I throw been, up a lot on pot. You do. You do. <laughs> and I mean a lot as in number of times and quantity at time at the time yeah well one of the problems is now i'm about to get sort of hacky here but it's but it's like um pot has changed so much that it's become fucking military grade yeah it's it it can be pretty awful (laughs) i I don't that brownie that we did or was it a cookie I don't remember. Well, stupidly, somebody gave me. (laughs) I bought a packet of two cookies, and the the lady at the counter said, um, "Share a cookie with one other person." (laughs) And what I heard was, "Just each eat your own cookie. (laughs) Each of you take twice the Uh, recommended dosage." I was not well for days. No, and you. I mean, I didn't. It really knocked my world apart. But Uh, you were in a a particularly bad state. And but that's a good question. I mean, look, it's here's another part of it. It's like. It's sort of like I, I feel this way about about pornography, which I've recently had a major sort of um, shift in, oh. right? Sea change in pornography. I'll talk about that in a second. But incest porn? What's it that now? No, 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 none, <laughs> none. I have, what? I'm not now. I'm I'm I've given up on on. Uh, what have you done with Joey? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's that um, I think I knew this before, but it it was I just sort of put it out of my mind. But it just suddenly hit me like a brick wall. I really think most of the, at least women, and even some men who are in pornography, are in pornography because some bad shit happened. (laughs) (laughs) That's an unexpected response. Uh, No, I because I I kind of and it's gotten it it hasn't gotten better, has it? Well, it's gotten atrocious. Yeah, I mean it's and and no, I mean not. Yeah, I because there's a lot more variety and and pushing the limits. But I mean, just I, I think it's always been that way. Yeah. And and um, I just don't want to sort of be part of that whole thing, and it ruins it. Kind of knowing I, that I but, remember the last time I went to a strip club and and thinking to myself, "Wow, I wonder who's being more exploited here, her or me?" And at that point, I knew I was done with strip clubs. Yeah, definitely her. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But at the same time, like my, I'm, I'm just here catering to a bunch of silly patron instincts that I can take care of. Yeah, and it's it's more than silly. It's just I don't know. It's. I mean, it's sort of like you know, prostitution. I think should be should be legal too. Yeah. But as it is right now, I think that most. It's a pretty rare percentage of women in pornography or prostitution who are like entrepreneurs. Yeah. I just don't think so. And right. it's like I'm not. But you know, anyone who sees a prostitute or watches pornography, I'm not judging. It just struck me that way. Yeah. But what this has to do with our our conversation is, hmm. I think the reason pornography is that way is that Puritans. Have fucking always fucking pushed the agenda in a culture, and so anyone who is a who's in pornography or producing it, right? Oh, not anyone, but a lot of people, and a lot of people who are producing pot when it's not legal or any drugs are the scum. Not because you're well, put it this way, and, and, and maybe even if they're not the yeah. scum, they adopt the attitude and the lifestyle. Well, because if you're willing, the people, the same yeah. people who are willing to sort of like go to the underclass 
They, it shouldn't be an underclass. Pot right. shouldn't be in the shadows. Pornography shouldn't be in the shadows. But given that it is, the people who run it are likely to be shitheads. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's kind of what's happened with pot over the years is now it's becoming sort of mainstream. But in the meantime, people started creating a product that is psychotic. Yeah. And I, I like pot. And I even like you being do. psychotic sometimes. But I'm not a person who could. Tell I mean, I have smoked pot. You know, several days in a row, and I and by the fourth day, because I'm just it's like summer vacation or something. By the fourth, what is it okay to say here? What in the context of your of my employment? Yeah, what's well, legal? I, 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 yeah, and, and, uh, and by I, I mean a character I portray. <laughs> no, it's fine. All right, and people, yeah, I mean, I have a life, but um, I have uh, you know, during a summer vacation, smoke pot four days in a row. And I feel like I've gotten brain damage by the fourth day. I mean, it's really, it's not, it's not your grandfather's pot. And there again, it's sort of like, that's a problem. Or like old hippies who are like, oh, now that it's legal, now, you know, there's 60 or something. It's like, I haven't smoked pot in 20 years. And they do it and they lose their fucking minds because it's just fucking changed so much. And it's like, why, why does it have to be? It's almost like it makes the case for the people who've always been, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. I mean yeah, Nancy yeah. Reagan would have a le- a small legitimate position. Yeah. If she saw you at that concert in Oakland, where yeah, you right. lost your mind. <laughs> yeah. And he yeah, lost yeah. his fucking mind. <laughs> well, not okay, dude. Oh, <laughs> anyway, sorry. You know, oh, I, I got to apologize. Terrified of being at a concert. I have to apologize, not just to you, but to our <laughs> listeners. And I know this has been a very esoteric <laughs> sort of this has beginning been a goofy one. one. <laughs> it's a goofy one, but it's just I don't know these. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> anyway, so. What's obvious to me is that we're talking about Christmas movies. Of course. How could we be not? <laughs> so, Holy uh, shit. Christmas. <laughs> what? All right, Christmas. What does Christmas mean to you, <laughs> Christmas movies are a weird one. I think the whole idea of, a, of Christmas movies, um, if it's anything but Jesus and the manger, is sort of it. I mean, even it's Santa Movies with Christmas lights in the background. Well, somewhere. Santa Claus itself is sort of a weird concept. How many mm. people who, who are um, believers and, and Christians and so forth, like, like it is a fucking bizarrely, um, uh, almost blasphemous sort of premise in a way. Christmas? Well, not Christmas, but Santa the Claus. way we celebrate Christmas with like Rudolph and... And I mean, it's sort of like, uh, I mean, I don't give, I don't, I don't believe I'm a, I'm an atheist, yeah, but I mean, it's still a sort of a weird position. It bears very little resemblance to a religious holiday at all. Yeah. I would say. yeah. And, and so then we have all these sort of, um, accoutrements, these, these films mm. that, uh, that take us through, uh, yes, Christmas. Right. So mm. what do you, let's, let's start talking about them. Fuck. Let's do it. Let's, let's start with the 1964's, uh, classic. Rudolph. Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Rankin and Bass production. What? Rankin and Bass. They did a number of like these kind of like claymation type claymation y uh, yeah. cartoon uh, sort of things. Many, mo- a lot of them holiday based uh-huh. um, during, uh, <laughs> during the 70s. Yeah. Like Santa Claus is coming to town with the great Fred Astaire. Yes, exactly. Exactly the- like that. Or uh, the, uh, with <clears> the <throat> Rudolph the Reindeer, uh, Red Nosed Reindeer meets the something monster. I don't remember. It was. But anyways. Well, and they also had like the baby New Year, the kid with the, the big ears. Yeah. And they had the Burgermeister, Burgermeister, the the, the the weird German sort of mayoral 
<laughs> yeah, right. Okay, <laughs> guy from Heidelberg, <laughs> and uh, like the freeze, the the heat and uh, the uh, freeze the, guy. The free, and, yes, exactly. I mean, yeah, it got they, a little out of hand, right? Absolutely. And they did one great one. It was like it was like a Halloween. Uh, it was like a Halloween thing, and yeah. Phyllis Diller played Phyllis Diller. Really? And, As uh, in the claymation form? Yeah, and it was it no. was in, it was in, and it was in. Um, uh, in conjunction with Mad Magazine, like Mad Magazine's like oh. Halloween extravagant. I can't remember what it was, but you'd like it. I love we Mad Magazine. That's yeah, for sure. Big big fan of the Mad Magazine. Yeah. So yeah. So <laughs> Rankin and Bass, the producers of it. This is this is kind of their thing. Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. It, have you heard the song? Well, the, that's well, kind of the plot. Well, did this the song came first, happened. right? Yeah, a couple of things happened. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But, but was the song based on anything, or was it just its own narrative? I don't know. Okay, God damn. Now that I think about it, I don't know enough about the song. Ooh. I mean, I wonder if it's based on some old German like folk tale or something, like a reindeer that raped half a town or something like that. Yeah, turned out to be the Bill Cosby of the reindeer group. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> Bill Cosby. Indeed. I just want to remind Indeed. everyone. On record as the world's worst serial rapist. Second, I would say. I'm gonna hold, I'm gonna hold Genghis Khan. Well, Genghis Khan's, but the rec- We don't know what the record is. We can estimate yeah, that it's half that of one, humanity or yeah, something. We know that like 05 percent of us are all have a little bit of Genghis in us. You know what I mean? Well, Genghis in the wood. Pile. It was a good ebb and flow with Genghis Khan because he he raped half the world, but he also killed half the world. Right. Anyway, so. Bill Cosby yeah, and this then might be, Rudolph this might the Red-Nosed Reindeer. This might so, be the downside of us talking too much before this. Sorry. Ru- Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, yeah, okay. So it's based on that but story. That's He's got a shiny nose, not a big red, not a red bring, one. Bring. Okay, so everyone knows the story, obviously. And but this, this story apparently is getting a lot of shit these days from why? the social justice crowd. Get out of here. What are they saying? Oh, it's triggering. No, are you making the? Bad I am joke? not making that up. No, that's. What actually, do you mean? I mean, I, I can't I was, even imagine I, what it is. I looked it up. There's, there's, there's like a whole. There's, there's like tons of reviews about like of, of triggered young. <laughs> you mean off, off of this, off the song, or off of, of this movie. production? Off this production. But of why? The movie. What's the? Because he's being ostracized for being oh, different. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean. Well, that's. I mean, that's something that's yeah. been pointed out before, and I actually the I elf, have to the agree. The elf is gay, obviously. Well, let's walk through it slowly because okay. I agree. Because first of all. I, I someone pointed out recently if if Santa knows when you've been thinking yeah. and whether you're naughty or nice, he also knows that Rudolph is being bullied by these other motherfucking and he's an asshole in this production. He's, he's a real <laughs> dick nugget, man. Yeah, Rudolph's and Donner's not much better. His, oh, his father's dad. a fucking oh, oh god, Archie Bunker with antlers. Yeah, that's a good analogy, actually. Edith. Um, yeah. Okay. So what's the okay? So everyone has a song. Okay. So how do they play the song out? That's what's kind of interesting. First of all, yeah, you have this sort of weird claymation, sort of uh, whatever that is, right? Rudolph is b- born into the world a Christ child. You have Burl Ives as the uh, sort of narrative narrating snowman. Wow. Mwah, he's just made his closed to open fingers Italian uh, gesture from the lips. Mamma mia, that's a good uh, that's snowman. That's a spicy snowman. Okay, so Burl Ives is, he's got is snowballs. As sort of narrating this thing, we have um, Santa's workshop, and you're right. Uh, uh, it's Herbie, right? Herbie is the elf that Her- wants to be a dentist. Herbie's the, the elf that doesn't want to doesn't want to stay in his place, man. Yeah, wants to explore his other lifestyle. Now, why is it? Do you think? Because I mean, it's not any new information to anyone who's watched it that he's gay. But why is it that they make him gay? I don't think they were tr- deliberately doing that. Oh, I think come they were, on! I think they were going like he's an elf. He's gonna be. Uh, he's gonna be. It's going to be a little flaky. It's I think be a little lip of the wrist. Whoever worked know. at that production company knew somebody named Herbie and and did that to <laughs> to fuck him over. Is what I think happened. I think if, if that that's the case, it hasn't worked. I think Herbie is like half the reason where we've become so accepting of gay culture. Like, 
Well, in a I way, think he was kind of the introduction. I of think gay you're, culture to you're all joking, of us. kind of, but I mean, there is the sort of I, there yeah. is the metaphor for him doing something he doesn't want to do yeah. that he's expected to do, he and he wants to do it the up other in the, thing. The workshop, right? Yeah, he bearded it up in the workshop because yeah, that fucking the. Um, um, overseer, the fucking commander of the workshop, is a real dickhead too, right? Yeah, yeah, these are not these are not people living good lives. It is a fucking. It's like the apple plant in China. I mean, it's really fucking a nightmare. <laughs> That's gotta suck. You want to th- kill yourself by throwing yourself off the roof, but you fly. Fuck. <laughs> Poor reindeer. <laughs> well, the reindeer, but yeah. So 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 they have this workshop. He's no good at his fucking job. No, it's because terrible. all he wants to do is read about uh, dentistry, teeth out of things. Yeah. <laughs> And by the way, that's what he thinks dentistry is: taking, removing teeth. It's you know, kind of the extent of his uh, of his uh, dentistry, as I recall. I guess. So he's the outcast, and the, and of course Rudolph is the outcast because he's got this horrible nose. Oh, but his dad tries to make him fit in, man, by putting mud on his nose. That's gay. Well, something. Okay. Um, one of the I was my f- say racist. My favorite things is when I think her name is it Clarice, uh, the the other the doe. Oh yeah, little doe. She shows hot. shows him a little flirt flirts with them, and he uh, he goes she was maybe my first before Betty Rubble for me. Oh, in terms of cartoon uh, ladies, that, okay. that kind of attractive. But she thinks he's cute, and so he fl- he goes. She thinks I'm cute, and he flies off. Okay, so but but he's. Which, by the way, at that moment, she stopped thinking you were cute. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I know. I've made that mistake before. So, <laughs> you think you're so? Anyway, so so I guess what happens is um, both Herbie and. Uh, Rudolph decide they're just going to fucking leave this village of hate. No, yeah, hate, the, hate crime village <laughs> known as the North Pole. <laughs> and it's what they do is, I mean, it's really just because it's about the journey, Tom, not yeah, the destination. the hero's journey of Rudolph. It is yeah. the hero's journey, right? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't know what he's after, but but he finds it by running into these people, right? That's the difference between him and Odysseus, uh. essentially. <laughs> Holy shit! Is is that they're on this journey and and they come across several people and it's Uh, like one of them is um, Cornelius Cornelius Yukon Cornelius the the gold miner the gold miner is always looking for for gold and silver and never finding silver and gold silver and gold. At one point they come across a nemesis, which is the abominable snowman. Abominable snowman, right? He's chasing them and and and. Rudolph's nose is proving a handicap in this regard because that's how he's that's how he's tracking them. So so you so have bright and shiny. you have these people with with the different sort of afflictions that make them the outsider, right? And so it's like the outsiders obviously Rudolph with his nose and and this beacon which is giving him away. And eventually they make their way to a land of outsiders. Well, I was going to get there, but I just want to review that. And Herbie's the outsider because he wants to be a dentist, which is 1964 code for he wants the uh, he loves, glory hole. He loves penis. Yep. And then, and then Yukon um, uh, Cornelius. He's always the. He's I mean, just a loser. Well, we go back to like treasures here in Nevada. Those guys are always the outsiders because it's always like win treasures and then the lose it all. Nevada, oh, sorry, this year, Madre. Um, and uh, it's like they're always the losers because they gain and then they lose, right? Right, of course. So these are the, the the literary tropes that we've discovered so far. And then, of course, there's the fucking island. Of misfit, of toys. misfit toys, and it's like I'm a Charlie in the box on the the train with the square wheels, and I, the one, I think the a one doll that's been raped the, or something. 
Show me where it touched you. Uh, the, the, the one you mean that, the doll has to point to another doll, a smaller doll? Is that what you're suggesting? I believe so, yeah. Okay. Um, the one that uh, forever baffled me and really upset me, even as a yep. kid, was like the polka dotted elephant, stuffed elephant. Yeah. I never got that. Like, that is fucking cool. I, I, I would have dug a, a polka dotted stuffed elephant. And it was guarded by um, uh, turkey buzzards. And then there was the king, the lion. Right. Who, who actually was quite a, he was a Mother Teresa of lions because there's nothing wrong with the king, it. as I recall. Yeah. Yeah, no, he was fine. He was just taking in all these orphans. Yeah, he moved. Actually, he was actually a better Santa than Santa was. <laughs> when he was, <laughs> yeah, he was a better Santa than <laughs> Santa was. He was in a toolbox like Santa. Santa, what a fucking cocksucker! If you if you've forgotten already, <laughs> so so then it's like there's a, a pang of like regret from from cocksucking Donner, right? Yeah. Sorry, yeah. he's a crutch of. Well, profanity there, but but yeah, they, they they eventually yeah they come across Donner, find out that everyone's been looking for them, Herbie and Rudolph, by which I mean. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Well okay, so they're out. To, yeah exactly. Mm. Well even Donner has a conscience, right? It's yeah, sort of like, like oh sorry, I was a complete boo. dick to you, son. We love gay people. Yeah. <laughs> no, I you know yeah, he, Dennis Pride Parade. <laughs> yeah, well yeah okay, so that's. I mean, that's really it, right? I mean, everyone knows the rest of the story, but it's like it's interesting that they chose to sort of play it out with all these other parallels, right? <laughs> right. I'm I'm curious in 1964 what's happening, and I'm I haven't made no study of this, but like what's happening in the world? We're on the cusp of Vietnam, you know, all these sort of like the civil rights era. I'm wondering, like, what are the parallels here? But oh, like, what are the things that go fucking wrong? Like, how would they eventually defeat the abominable? This is another this is another subtext here. Yeah, they defeat the abominable snowman. Yeah. Wow, the, 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 they pull, they yank all his teeth and yeah. turn him into a servant. <laughs> well, because the Bumble's moment—that's his thing. It's like everyone thinks he's this awful guy, and it turns out it's—he's just got tooth problems. Yeah, exactly. And then eventually, they fix that, and uh, they nut him. They—they they, just—they nut him. What did we learn? What did we learn? Yeah. What did we learn Santa's from the story? A tool. Yeah, he really is an asshole. And I want a spotted elephant. A I think spotted elephant. Just behind one, somebody send it to me. Che Guevara, I think uh, Santa is misunderstood. <laughs> like he's celebrated when he should, be, in fact, be <laughs> ostracized. Well, they have from the same beard, different color, but yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Similar beard situation. I think it's a it's a great uh, story that spawned too many bad. Because there was one. I remember my dad. My dad who hated religion. But but um, also somehow always hated people who who treated religious people wrongly. I mean, he was just a fucking complex dickhead, my yeah. father. But but it was like he was right about one thing. There were spinoffs from this that were like there was one I remember where there was a sleigh with flying snakes. The same company did all it just did all these horrible spinoffs, yeah, and the, none of them could ever sort of match up to to Rudolph. No, no, Rudolph was Rudolph was a. Um... A perennial classic, mm. a must. Mm-mm. As a child, Mm-mm. a must for any Christmas season. Yeah. Now, different. Now, I would say <laughs> than that, because that's about like trying to spin it off, you know, Norman Lear style and the sort of different things. Is our next project from 1966, which has been done over badly uh, so many God times. Damn it. Nothing's ever. You know why? The first one, th- because this cartoon. Yeah. It's a cartoon. Yeah. Actually, follows the book. A crazy idea. It sticks idea. to the brilliance. It of wasn't auto premingerized, yeah. if you will. No, it was. We're taking a Dr. Seuss. What are we going to do to improve this? I can think of nothing. 
Let's yep. just do the actual fucking book. And which that's is what they did. Which is the mistake they've made with I mean the Lorax is a fucking we're not talking about the Lorax, but the Lorax by Dr. Seuss is a fucking brilliant book. Oh, and no amazing. one's ever done it well. No, no. And no. you just have to stick to it. Now what you can do is you can figure out how in sticking to it you can add your own dynamics, which is what they did in 1966 is how the Grinch stole Christmas. Yes. And I would say the first thing they did really smartly here mm-hmm. is Boris fucking Karloff, man. Boris Karloff doing the voiceover. I think there are a couple of elements that are, that are, that are kind of different that really, really work. Like, yep. and, and mostly they have to do with sort of adding to the vision rather than kind of changing it. Okay. So, for instance, Boris Karloff's voice. I mean, yes. you could, yes. And even having him sing it, you're a vile one, Mr. Grinch. Oh, that's pretty good. Pretty fabulous, right? Mm-hmm. But they also took Max, who was in the who was in the book, certainly, mm-hmm. and made him, like, just gave him a shit ton of dynamic to have in this movie. Yeah. They made him fun. Yeah. And they had a lot of fun doing it. it, it it's just, yeah, it's such a great content cartoon. It's pretty simple. Yeah. The Grinch hates Christmas, everybody. Yeah. And he's going to steal it from the Who's, oh. who, who inordinately love Christmas. Okay, well, let me tell you then. So, like, this is—I want to return this to a, a conversation great... you and I've had a million times. We had it a couple of weeks ago. Sorry, on this on this podcast, and that's about how comic books have fucked so many things up, and including superhero movies. And that's that every time they've tried to redo the Grinch, they try to do an origin story. They have to have an origin story, yeah. and it's like, how did he become this well, person? And it's like what's brilliant about him is he's just like garbage anomaly. Yeah, who yeah. who's hateable but somehow a little bit kind of like you you love him at the same time. Yeah, he's Joe yeah. Pesci is what he is. Well, first off, he's got an origin story, and you're welcome to make that up in your fucking head if you like. Go do that, right? Right. But but also when they, they've done the live action one, that fucking dreadful Terrible. nonsense. Terrible. Um, they put in the origin story. I would imagine they also did that to like to to inflate the runtime of the movie. But well, they could maybe have done that in much better ways. Well, the, here's how With, you handle Dr. Seuss is when you have kerfubable flutes and wobble bleeps, it's like, great, show those. Right. I mean, that's that's staying true to it. Yeah. And using your imagination and adding something to it without right. having to uh, fuck with the concept at all. Oh, the Grinch was abused as a child. Uh, oh, boo. Boo. That's what, the, uh, oh God, when we were talking about uh, Patch of Blue, how yeah. uh, Shelly Winter's character didn't need a backstory. You just, she was just a dick. Yeah. And, and that's all you really needed for the movie. And the same thing is going on with, with the Grinch and the remakes therein. But in this case, yeah, the Grinch is, yeah, you're right. He's hateable, detestable, kind of lovable. Well, I also, it's a story that now that I think about it, one of the things they've added when they try to redo it is they try to add a foil to him. And, and what's really interesting about the story is there is no foil. Yeah. The Grinch is just the this... Grinch is his own foil. <laughs> he's his, he is his own foil. Yeah, he's so he's so fucked up and conflicted. He doesn't need anybody else to do that for him. He's like except, the... except for like the goodness of the Who's who have, who eventually proved to him that it really wasn't about the presence at all, after all. Yeah, well, the Who's are a kind of an interesting bunch, Yahoo Mori, because the the Who's are um, there's no reason for them to be as sort of satisfied and happy as they are, except that they represent that part of humanity. Right. Dementia. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, is it fair to say like, like, you know, if, if taking like a, um, I think an obvious and necessary Freudian approach that it's sort of like, um, it's it ego. Like, I mean, the, the, the Grinch is like all our sort of base, vile, primitive revenge seeking dark, Right. 
And the who's are the are the, the the total sort of the part that keeps us together. Right, 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 right. Well, you know that's kind of a con- that's a kind of a common uh, sort of trope ish thing mm-hmm. in Doctor mm-hmm. Seuss. That's how mm-hmm. he, that's how he gets the lessons across. There's always the good side too, because right, it's our children's books. Yeah. So necessarily there there has to be that lesson going on, and then that's one of them. You know, so like in the Lorax, there's like the 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 truffula trees and all the innocent wildlife and game around him. It's very similar in a lot of ways to the Who's in Whoville. Yeah. You know, just representing innocence. Yeah, but it's like you don't always have to. I like that you in in Doctor Seuss. You don't always have to have a reason, right? And that's that's a thing. I remember somebody. I think it was Daniel Shore. Do you remember he was this old guy on NPR? He died a couple of years ago, but he had this very unique voice. But I remember one time he was saying like um, the thing that you tell writers who write for adults is um, like show don't tell, right? Right. And he, but he was saying with kids. Do the opposite. Hmm. Just tell. Kids won't put up with the nonsense of a description of a room or why something came to be. They just want a situation. Horton, here's a who. Is perfect. Like there's a, there's tension and there's a problem, but there's no sort of motivation between like the dark and the good side. It's sort of like this problem just needs to be solved. Right. Oh, there's the very dark. Uh, there's the dark uh, sequel to that, which was uh, Horton Huff's a who. Yeah. Ah, very dangerous. That was good. It's a, it's a drug in <laughs> No, I got it. <laughs> Horton shoots a who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I think it's a problem. I mean, it's one of those things as, as an older gentleman is it really dismays me when young people don't even know about How the Grinch Stole Christmas. They only know about the old movie with Jim Carrey. And the new one, you know, like they don't oh, know, right. they don't know anything about. I like, hate the fact that those same people are now looking up the word dismay. Anyways, but yeah, yeah, you're right, absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah, keep running into that fucking thing. Okay, all right. Let's head on to 1969's Frosty. Frosty the Snowman. Frosty the Snowman is a very jolly soul. Yeah. I, okay. Again, another song made into a movie. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, <laughs> now this this um, has potentially some of the problems that uh, the, how the Grinch stole Christmas avoided, in that um, it it just try to add. I mean, because Frosty the Snowman, there's no story there, really. It's like there was a snowman and he came to life, and that's kind of the end of it, according to the song. Well, the fact that they put a hat on his head and he comes to life is in the song. No, 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 yeah, I got you, but so I'm just saying the like, origin story that it is expanded oh, upon in the, <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the movie. There is the an origin. Okay, fair enough. But I mean, there's beyond that. There's nothing else. But but of course, the movie has this re- like I never really understood this Tale premise. Tale of as mortality, a kid. my friend. Well, it's this fucking bumbling uh, magician. Yes. Right. Yeah. This magician. Messy, messy, messy. I think it's the neighbor from the Jeffersons, by the way. Mr. Uh, Bentley, I believe that's the voice I think of the magician. It might be magician. who physically based on too. Like, yeah, he does kind of look like him. But but it's like so so the premise here is that there's a um, it's a it's a class during winter elementary school. Um, this teacher, for some unknown reason, has hired a magician. I don't know why a teacher would do that yeah. for entertainment before the winter break. The magician is just a garbage. He's a terrible magician. He's just fucking He's not terrible. as good a magician as we're going to be in. We're going to be good. Um, and um, he's got a rabbit. He's fucking him over in the act all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then um, he loses his hat. It's the magician's hat. And it, fucking, there's a plot hole, by the way. Yeah. How does this guy such a terrible magician magician if his hat is magic it's enough? actually got magic Actually has it. magic because it blows that's away. That's how bad a magician he is. Yeah, he's negating the magic in the hat. Yeah, what an asshole. Ugh. 
So so the hat lands on Frosty and Frosty comes to life. And he's our Happy comedy. Happy birthday. He is our comedy element, by the way. Okay, the so magician. so now though the but yeah, oh yeah. Oh, he's yeah, he's terrible. So so now it's like the whole idea is how do now that Frosty's come to life, he's going to have to confront the fact of his mortality, as you say. He, the, all this thing is. The sun will come along. The cycle of life and death and tra- cheating death is what we're learning here, folks. And so Karen, um, for some reason, is chosen as a child that's going to take Frosty um, on a railroad trip to the North Pole. Naturally. Well, natural mall. Absolutely. Because that's where, that's where all railroads are. I don't fucking know. I don't know either. But I think it's cartoon logic. And then the magician is um, obsessed with getting his hat back because it'll turn everything around for there's him. There's magic in that hat. Didn't help him before, but suddenly he's going to be. Anyways. Yeah. And so he wants the hat back, which is, of course, Woods render Frosty back to being merely a snowman. A real, yeah. At that point, let him melt. Cadaver right? of snow. Right. And now instead of. What did of... one snowman say to the other snowman? Go ahead. Does it smell like carrot to you? So instead of Burl Ives as the uh, narrator, I'm going to move past that. Um, you have the great <laughs> Jimmy Durante, yeah, cha cha cha. Which he just his presence in anything makes it delightful. Yeah. Well, I'm actually gonna. I mean, and and so the rest of it is about you know the the magician sort of finding his soul, and I think he it's tried a, chasing uh, him up to the North Pole. It might be an anti-capitalist well, movie. I think he's 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 browbeaten into his soul by Santa Claus because he wants nothing. He doesn't want a lump of coal in his stocking. Yeah. So then the magician becomes nice. I did. I think this movie is a piece totally of garbage. A plus, it's I, a capitalist thing. I, I have to say, I think this is where they just started getting sloppy and cashing in because this. I just don't like this movie at all. Really? I really no, no. I mean, first of all, the cartoon work is terrible. It's badly done. The plot is just sort of like a convoluted mess. <coughs> yeah, and um, I just don't like it. Huh? Really? Yeah, I don't get it. Well, I don't get that because I'm coming at this, I guess. I have a certain nostalgic affection for this movie. It's yeah. not a good movie. Terrible but, movie. Uh, but, it's, uh, but I would, but, uh, I would recommend it just because uh, I liked it as a kid. If you're a kid, this is a movie. Okay. If you're not, if you're an adult who overthinks things, maybe not. Okay. So all of this, these <coughs> three just... movies were our, our excuse, our ramp up. I mean, we just wanted to sort of uh, uh, go down memory lane with these movies and talk I, I, about- We just a... wanted to do a, an episode and Joe needs at least four fucking things to talk, uh, at least four movies in an episode. Oh, you almost made through that without fucking it up, Tom. Yeah, almost. Congratulations. I feel you, you, that would have been your you Christmas gift to yourself, me. sir. You inspire me. Um, okay, so we wanted to talk about this movie. Oh, it's 1974's yes. Black Christmas. Black Christmas. Not in any way a Black exploitation film. No, 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 no. Well, yeah, I the thought title, it was at first. The title would suggest that. Yeah, yeah. Nope, nope. With, not at like all. Mario Van Peebles Sr. or something. Bad Christmas. Is what they're, they okay. called it that. Okay, so Black Christmas is 1974. <laughs> it stars Miss Olivia Hussey, who I've only ever seen her in 1968's Romeo and Juliet. That's she's it. fucking great in that she, movie. Ah, she's, she's one of the best beautiful. Juliets ever. Yeah. Oh, what a Juliet. Oh, I have a thing for I had a Light thing for Juliet window. for years, my friend. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was very cute. Okay. So we have... She still looks facially the same. Yeah. Well, it's... What is that? Six years later. Yeah, yeah. Um, We have... uh, Margot Kidder. Just two years off of the Brian De Palma classic Sisters. Yeah. Um, Sisters. 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 (laughs) That would have a such devoted sisters. So... Uh, And I'd like to point out another person in this movie. This is from a time when, like, burly gentlemen with man titties 
were the Macho Men of Hollywood, okay. and John Saxon was your B was your B movie. Who's John Saxon? Ago. He's the cop. He's the the police lieutenant. Oh, he was in so many fucking movies. Ah, okay. Oh yeah, he was great. Yeah, he was. Uh, you you, met, you ever see uh, Enter the Dragon? No, I never have actually. Oh, he's he's the white guy who knows karate. Anyways, okay. yeah. So he's it was like a big B movie action uh, action figure during the seventies. Okay, so so Black Christmas is a, uh, it's got the classic sort of um, horror movie um, situation in that it's a sorority. Yes. So you, ha- I mean, but it's it, a slasher uh, film. It's a sl- yeah, it is a slasher it, film, and it's but it's a slasher film in the '70s sense that becomes a different thing in the '80s. '80s is, is there, there's a difference in the in the two genres, which I had never realized before. Yeah. This movie is definitely a slasher film. It's a, definitely um, it's a grindhouse, uh, something you catch at a drive-in movie. Thing. Wait, wait, wait! Okay. I, it, grindhouse to me is is the the uh, yeah I think of like the. The, the amputated leg that's a machine gun or something or a machete machete hand or like what and a lot of motorcycle oh a lot of them were that too, but but this what's what is grindhouse grindhouse is just like it's like a low budget 70s movie is really well oh okay all right, all right. Yeah, so it's like is, poverty row uh, right uh okay yeah mm-hmm. good okay so this falls in that category and it's and again it's 70s yeah so it's different from the 80s largely in in the sexual content like in the 80s we would have seen titty we didn't see any of that in black uh, black christmas yeah. The sorority, we never saw a boob. Well, that's, yeah, it does sort of fail. I guess I was going to call it a failure, but I guess it is sort of just hasn't reached the era yet. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, to set it in a sorority, to me, in a slasher film would be like, that's the opportunity for a lot of like night gowning around, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and absolutely. it's oh, beating each other up with pillows. <laughs> Okay, but that's oh, it comes upon us. Oh, the clothing fell off. How did uh, that happen? That's replaced by um, not that. Except for one person, that's the form of Margot Kidder, who Margot Kidder doesn't. <laughs> the thing is, she doesn't really have a a substantial place in this film. I'm interested that she's even in it. Well, first off, she looks way too old to be in it. She does she look too old, to be, too old to be in a sorority. She's like, uh, she's the um, she's the representative of the morally corrupt '70s that we were in. I think right. So she she says like things like cunt, and she drinks a lot, and she talks about sex. She gives and the, the police officer her phone number when I guess they still had words at the beginning of phone numbers, and she fellatio. Anyway, fellatio three two nine four. Call me at fellatio three two nine four. And he writes it down because he's never heard that word. You know, it's funny. anyway. Yeah. Okay. So so uh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say like, one of the other things about this movie that I love is it could also uh, I think they could change the name and call it uh, reckless alcoholism the slashing or something. Why? There is some crazy like the house mother of yeah. the sorority. Yeah, yeah. Uh, has a cartoonish has a cartoonish level of alcoholism. Yeah. She's one of these people who stashes booze bottles around oh, yeah, the yeah, house yeah, and yeah. on places. And toilet tanks and so she's just kind of yeah she's kind of a boozer. Um, uh, there's an unreasonable um, liking of her by the sorority. Like yes. they, I mean, I mean, I think sorority like mothers or den mothers. They're supposed to sort of be the person you wait until they leave so you can actually have fun. Right. But instead, they want her to stay. Um, and and, and she's funny. She's like the comedic. She's the comedy relief of the first half. Of the yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. She's like a, a Shirley Booth gone wrong or something. And 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 uh, the house is um, full of response. Uh, sans Margot Kidder. Um, responsible sorority girls. I didn't really care for that aspect of it, mm-hmm. but they're they okay. So they're getting these um, 
crank phone calls. Yeah, they start getting these phone calls, um, and they're uh, they're uh, obscene. Mm-hmm. I guess is how they're supposed to have started, and then they get like really fucking disturbed. They're just wacky. Yeah. It's like somebody doing bad radio voices. Yeah, and in, in, in a lot of them in succession on the phone. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty. The, the 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 thing is, yeah, it's pretty dark. And we also right at the beginning we see somebody sneaking into the attic of the house. Right. Yes. And, so, and taking up residence there, who apparently never eats or shits. I don't know how that works. I don't know either. That's a shortcoming of the film, that somebody's living in the attic and not and that no one it's knows like about it. Out the just... back of the window. Just, why, are those, why are there turds on the front porch? Well, they have a, like an aged ham and a spackle bucket, I guess, <laughs> up there. Well, not only that. I mean, what, I mean, I don't know if this is worth... Well, well, I guess there's, I mean there's also a block and tackle just hanging from the fucking ceiling. Well, this is a film that it's okay to give things away. How, how do you want to play this? Can we give things I guess away we or no? Can. Like who's going to be? It's, this is a slasher. Just film. watch it. Yeah. Okay. Well. So then the other thing is that apparently has a phone line. Yes, uh, in the attic. Yes. In the attic too, right? Yes, that no one knows about. And everybody, and it's a slasher movie, and everybody who's going to die, more so than in most slasher movies, yeah. might as well just say, hey, I'm going to go get killed now. Right, right. Like, might as well just say that. Yeah. Because they just do immediately. Well, they have like um, afflictions that sort of um, foreshadow that, like the woman who has asthma, the sorority sister who has asthma, and, right. and things like that. So yeah, so the, I mean, you know already. because Well, of, she's also a whore, so she, you know she's going to die. Yeah, that's right, yeah. right. Um, well, Olivia Hussey's the real hoa uh, in this film. Uh, Why? Because she's so. she's a, she's working. She's gonna get her, get herself one of them. Their new abortion things. That's they, right. It's just a year into Roe versus Wade. That's right. So it's like, yeah, she's gonna get an abortion. Wow, Use it or lose it. Ready from the fucking headlines there. Or anything. <laughs> Tenth <laughs> one free. <laughs> so she, yeah, so she's gonna get an abortion, yeah. uh, and her boyfriend heavily objects. Who's, by the way, uh, for uh, like a forever college student working on a like a piano scholarship, mm-hmm. uh, who apparently didn't learn much. <laughs> yeah, terrible pianist. <laughs> really bad. Yeah, I'm trying. To, I guess trying to be avant garde into the point of being awful. Yes, it was also very sensitive and falls under suspicion as being the murderer when they find the murderer. It's. I mean, look, it's a mess, but the thing is... It's fucking lovable. Tonally, I don't think... I think it's as good as Halloween. Yeah. I think it's absolutely as good as as Halloween and Friday the 13th and all the rest of the slasher movies that came like five years later. Mm -hmm. I I think it's... um, um, It's suspenseful in the way that slasher movies are. You know what's going to happen, but you're just you curious about slasher movies. There's nothing. Yeah, exactly. You're curious it's about like, how it's going to happen. How that how that person is going to die. That's yeah. what you really. That's what you ultimately line yeah, up yeah. for. Like for me, like I was huge into Friday the Thirteenth, yeah. and by I think by movie four. All it was was just, I go to see a Friday the 13th movie mm-hmm. so I could spot like the really fucking crazy one. Yeah. Like, like he'd kill everybody, but uh-huh. one of them would be fucking bananas and hilarious. Yeah, right. Or like, you remember Happy Birthday to Me, um, where it's like the woman like starts to scream, ah, and they she stab, stabs her to the throat. Well, of so course. it's like, right. Yeah, so it's like, um, it's, yeah, it's absolutely a competent slasher movie yep. uh, but what's i guess what's interesting about it is it's the it's the product of the movie itself rather than the content no one knows about it yeah, yeah almost no one knows about this movie which is as good as any of the others yeah absolutely and it's the got christmas kind of hot parts, like you know like a sorority girl like listening in as it, it started off with like a dirty it, the, the phone call started off just being dirty yeah yeah right and uh oh hot pink cunt or something like that got said a couple of times I don't care for that nice. language Tom I I don't either uh, 
and then of course they're trying to track the phone calls. Yeah. And I didn't know they had to have a cop or somebody down at the actual phone, like chasing down the actual phone line mm-hmm. the call is coming through. I guess that was uh, yeah, that's cool. All I, right. I thought it was. Uh, I recommend. I thought it, it was fun. I it recommend it not highly, but definitely put it if you're in the mood for a slasher movie. Don't go to the usual places. Go to this one. I think you can stream it on YouTube actually. Yes, you may. Yes. All right. Worth checking out. Listen, Tommy. It's I, it, Tommy, and anyone listening who uh, celebrates the birth of our great Savior Christ, Jesus. It is the, he's the reason for the season. Is what I'm saying. Sure. Um, or to any of our uh, 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 Jewish friends and happy, others, happy Yamaka, ha- happy holidays is what I'm saying uh, holidays, to right. all of you. Yeah. Happy holidays to all of you and to all a good night. Good night. Good night, Gracie.